live from Liverpool, the Dark Paranormal, season 14. Hello everyone and welcome back to The Dark Paranormal Season 14 Episode 6. We're on the home straight now before we head towards Season 15. So now as we hit the second part of the season, now is the time to send in your submissions for Season 15. Simply send them over to contact at thedarkparanormal.com and please do remember our criteria Ideally, your experience should be between three and 4,000 words or approximately six individual sides of A4 on a Word document. And don't get me wrong, I'm aware that the paranormal does not work to a stopwatch. It doesn't care that I have a podcast to produce. So if you go over, we come back and forth with the edit. So don't worry about that. But a touch of forewarning, we do already have quite a few slots filled for season 15. So if you wish to be considered, I'd get them in sooner rather than later. But before we move on to thanking our Patreons, I'd like to say thank you to you all for your feedback regarding last week's experience, A Lesson in Darkness. But before we move on to thanking our Patreons, I'd like to thank each and every one of you for your feedback regarding last week's experience, A Lesson in Darkness. It's certainly proven to be one of our most talked about episodes, and I completely understand why. And believe me, I will let you know if there's any further updates in that case. But bringing ourselves back to today's experience, what do we have in store? Well, we've all heard about the alleged mimic. Its most basic description would be to say it's something malevolent taking the form of something familiar with both sight and sound in order to try and fool the experiencer. But what happens when you can't tell which is which? Or even worse, what if you have a genuine spirit seeking your help and through trying to communicate you inadvertently bring in something you wish you'd kept at bay. Today's experience speaks of both personal tragedy and spiritual torment. In the very few back and forths I've had with today's experiencer, throughout, they've wished to waive their right to anonymity. And I'd like to quote from an email they did send in during this exchange. They wrote, Please use my name. Use the locations. I'm not ashamed or afraid of what people may think. These things are real. I'll look anyone dead in the eye and tell them my story word for word, and it will never change. I thought I'd share that piece of the exchange with you to show the sort of experiencer we're dealing with. A man who, within the experience, wanted me to share his full name, including surname. Now, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to refer to him by his first name. But my point is, he was willing to do that, irrelevant of any backlash he may face, because he's that adamant his paranormal experience truly happened. But before we get to Dave's amazing experience, we need to say a quick thank you to our wonderful team over at Patreon. When you sign up to Patreon... Not only do you receive all of our episodes, both ad-free and before everyone else, 
but you can also receive exclusive access to our Patreon-only podcast, Dark Bites. The show airs each and every Sunday of the year, even on the downtime between seasons, taking a look at some of the shorter experiences that have been sent our way. And there are well over 50 hours worth of Patreon-only content for you to go and binge. But as I say each and every week, solely because it's true, the best thing about the Patreon team is the community itself. We've built our wonderful community of like-minded paranormal enthusiasts over on Patreon. And we'd love to extend an exclusive invitation just for you. Simply head over to patreon.com forward slash the dark paranormal just like the following wonderful new team members have addison walker dakota gutsk Peyton haynes lindsey ben hadoush daniel schneider katie cole bradfield truth seeker jake johnson may valen nevin phillips matt weddington mackenzie hitchcock tiffany brooks jamie smith stephen mcintyre matty paula turkelson maria granger stephanie guzman holly smith rodrigo chacon perez lisa banks brian ambris kate conrad maz rachel fellman lindsey thomas lord a ross so confused ag and hannah elliott Thank you so much, guys. Your support truly means the world. So if you'd like early ad-free releases and, of course, access to the Dark Bites Patreon-only podcast, head over to patreon.com forward slash the dark paranormal. But right now, it's time. Lower the lights, make yourself comfortable, and, of course, leave your disbelief at the door. As we ask the question... Devoted friend or demonic fiend? My name's Dave. I've no issue with my name being out there. All places, etc. I'm not one to hide or shy away from what I experienced. I'll look you in the eye and I'll retell my experience as it happened to me and it'll never change. Not one detail because it's burnt into my brain my story begins in the whirlwind of punk rock and rebellion at the heart of 1980s london peckham to be exact early 20s and barely sober me and my best mate alan were out almost every night watching as many bands as we could and although this usually meant a trip to Camden to watch the better bands, Peckham still had its own scene, albeit bands playing in pubs as opposed to clubs. Alan and I were inseparable. We felt like living life at the edge was the way to be. Every night a new adventure in the underground punk scene. Our days were loud and filled with music, and our nights even louder and filled with cheap, strong lager. But Alan had other vices. Heroin. I never dabbled. It didn't interest me. But one fateful night, Alan overdosed. And I was the one who found him. He was sat leaning against a wall. He looked pale, and I laughed and joked and said something about him being drunk, but he was unresponsive. 
I slapped him in the face, and he just lolled to the floor in the cluttered backstage of a dingy club. My heart raced as I yelled out for someone to call an ambulance. My hands were trembling in vain trying to wake him. The ride to the hospital was a blur. His life hanging by a thread. My sanity along with it. Well, he died that night. I think he'd gone when I found him. When he passed, a part of me died too. The music, the drinking, the chaos. It all lost its meaning. I toned it down after that. And at some point in the aftermath, I met a girl from Newcastle. She was like a beacon in my storm. Her warmth, her positivity. It was all a stark contrast to my grief-stricken negative life. We married and I moved away from Peckham, hoping to leave my past behind, start anew, so to speak. Newcastle was like stepping into a different world, a stark contrast from the streets of Peckham. Lisa, my wife, was my anchor, and an anchor I desperately needed. Our marriage was a serene chapter in my otherwise off-kilter life. We shared simple pleasures, quiet evenings at home, walks in the local park, and we planned for a future together. It was a blissful existence, and for the first time in years, I genuinely felt happy. We talked about starting a family, about turning our modest house into a warm, loving home for children. I saw a future that was bright, hopeful, and a stark departure from the shadows of my past. Our life was a harmonious rhythm of love and mutual respect, and I cherished every moment. But as time passed, I began to see subtle changes in Lisa. She started spending more time at work, coming home late due to unfinished projects. Her weekly outings with colleagues became a routine, and I felt a growing distance between us. I tried to brush off this gnawing feeling in my gut, telling myself it was just a phase. One night, Lisa told me she was going out with a friend from work. That was a usual occurrence, and I thought nothing of it. But as I had a night to myself, I went to the off-license for a few beers, and whilst in there, I ran into the girl Lisa was supposedly out with. That night, I waited up for Lisa, asking her how her friend was. Halfway through her lies, I slipped in very calmly that I'd seen her friend in the shop. The surprise and guilt on her face were unmistakable. Far too confused and far too drunk to think on her feet, she just cried and the truth came pouring out. She told me she was having an affair with her boss. Not just that, 
she was in love with him. This revelation shattered my world into a million pieces. I think what hurt the most was the lack of remorse. She began with crying and a look of sorrow, but the more she spoke, the more resilient she became. Her voice rising, she was standing, shouting, pointing a finger at me. How was I being told off here? She was unapologetic, stating she found in him something that was missing in our marriage. Well, I was left reeling, unable to comprehend how the life we'd built together could crumble so easily. The following weeks were a blur of arguments, tears and heartache. Our home, once a haven of love and laughter, became a battleground of bitter words and painful silences. The divorce that ensued, that I never wanted, was a slow, agonising process that drained me of my very soul. The dream of a happy family and growing old with Lisa had evaporated before my eyes. With the finality of the divorce, I realised I had nothing left for me in Newcastle. This city had once symbolised a new beginning, but was now a painful reminder of what I had lost. So once again, I found myself returning to Peckham, seeking solace in my former home. But little did I know, my return would open doors to a past I thought I'd long left behind, and a haunting that would change my life forever. My return to Peckham was a retreat, an attempt to find some comfort in the familiar. I settled into a flat, which was hauntingly close to where Alan had overdosed. At first, life was uneventful, marked by long hours driving a taxi and quiet evenings alone. But soon things began to change. It all began rather subtly. I'd catch a glimpse of someone in the corner of my eye and turn around to see no one there. I just brushed it off as fatigue, the lingering effect of long hours and sleepless nights. Then I began to hear it. A faint whistling sound. A distant, sorrowful tune always just at the edge of my hearing. It was one night as I was drifting off to sleep that I first saw him, Alan, stood at the foot of my bed as real as he'd been in life. His face was etched with the anxiety and distress that he would show when he needed a fix. He was rubbing his left arm frantically with his right, like he was afraid, like he needed help, like he needed drugs. I sat up, heart pounding, tears in my eyes, but he vanished like smoke. Again, the whistling sound lingered and then faded away. 
let's have a quick break to talk to you about Policy Genius. Now, we all like to put off life insurance talk because it reminds us of our mortality. But life insurance isn't about death, it's about life. It's about ensuring the lives of those you love remain secure and comfortable. And I'm sure many of you will think, well, I'm covered through work or I'm covered through my bank account. But believe me, you want to check those finer details because you may be surprised what you're actually covered for. And this is exactly where Policy Genius come into their own. Yes, we could talk about how Policy Genius is America's leading online insurance marketplace or how their award-winning agents will walk you step by step through the entire process. But the best thing about Policy Genius for me is they don't have a dog in the fight. They're not going to strong arm you towards one company or another. They've no incentive to do so. Their only incentive is to listen to your needs, scour America's top companies, and find you the best price. For example, with Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that begin at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options even offer same day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. There's a reason why Policy Genius has thousands of five star reviews on Google and Trustpilot, and you'll find out what it is when you tick life insurance off your to do list with Policy Genius. So head over to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you can save. That's policygenius.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. These encounters grew more frequent. Reflective surfaces, that's how I'd catch him mainly. For example, if I was looking at a cat in the backyard through the window, I'd see him in the reflection a few feet behind me. I'd spin around, of course, to nothing. And he began to get bolder. I'd see Alan in the reflection of the bathroom mirror, gazing back at me with sad, hollow eyes as he quickly passed the open doorway. Always this whistling sound accompanying these visions. Each sighting left me more and more unsettled. I started trying to work at night on the cabs whenever possible, but midweek the takings were paltry. So it was only really weekends with the drinkers and the revelers, that it was worth doing. At this point in my life, my sleep pattern was a total mess. The climax came one evening. There was a horrific storm outside. Coupled with it being a Saturday, this was usually prime taxi time. But I was shattered. And it was horrible outside. So I had an early night. The flat was dark, the only light from the occasional flash of lightning. I woke in the very early hours to find Alan at the end of my bed again. I blinked and squinted, but this time he stayed. His apparition was clear, almost tangible, like I could reach out. 
We stared at each other for at least an hour in total silence. I didn't move. I barely remember breathing. He was looking at me with an expression of profound sorrow and regret. And then, as the first light of dawn crept into the room, he faded away. This vision wasn't accompanied by the whistle, but the whistle was stuck in my head, a constant reminder of a past I couldn't seem to escape and the friend I couldn't save. My sanity was on its last legs. As these visions, these corner-of-the-eye phenomena escalated, my desperation to resolve them grew. I was plagued by Alan's increasing apparitions, but something was changing. From a full-bodied Alan at the end of my bed, he became more sinister. In the middle of the day, I'd catch him peeking through the crack of the living room door, where it meets the hinge. The whistling, which usually accompanied him until that bedroom visit, was heard less and less, and his reflections were now more of a dark silhouette than the almost real-life figure I'd been seeing previously. One day, I was in Camden, a place I love, and I was walking round a flea market, and I spotted a Ouija board. I paused. Nah, I thought, and I carried on walking. On my second lap of the store, I found myself staring at it again. Maybe I should try and speak to Alan. It was only a couple of quid. Before I'd even consciously decided, I realised I was handing the guy a fiver and he was putting the Ouija board in a white plastic bag along with the pointer. That night, after a few strong lagers, I lit some candles and turned the lights off, and I set up the board. My hands were shaking. I remember wringing them constantly, just to keep them still as I placed two fingers on the pointer. I honestly felt the atmosphere grow heavy and the air grow thick. It felt as though the very fabric of reality was warping all around me, creating a bubble in which the normal rules no longer applied. My hands were shaking on the pointer as I waited for it to move, the eerie glow of the candles casting long, sinister shadows, and I was cursing myself for lighting them. My heart was pounding like a drum, and after about five minutes of me saying, Alan, repeatedly, nothing happened. My heart calmed, and just as I was about to take my hand off the pointer... A cold draft swept through the room. Despite all the windows being shut, the candles began to flicker as if agitated by an unseen presence. Then, slowly, almost hesitantly, the pointer began to move. 
It glided across the board, guided by an invisible force, spelling out a message that would forever be etched in my mind. You left me. The words seemed to echo through the room, reverberating off the walls. The pointer moved again. Again, you left me. The accusation, to me anyway, was clear. The board was blaming me for Alan's death. A guilt that I had suppressed for many years began to surge to the surface. The temperature in the room dropped dramatically, the once warm air now biting cold. Even the breath coming out of my mouth was in ghostly puffs. An overwhelming sense of dread filled the room, a total feeling of malice, aggression, even hatred. I wanted to discard the board, end this nightmare, but I was frozen in place, a mix of fear and grim fascination holding me captive. In the days that followed that Ouija board session, the hauntings escalated in both frequency and intensity. The flat no longer felt like mine. I was sharing it with something hostile, something sinister, something that reveled in my fear. One particular evening, as I sat in the living room, distracting myself with a book, it sounded like the kitchen exploded. Totally crapping myself, I made my way towards the source of the sound. Each step felt like wading through treacle. My body was slow and heavy, like when you try and run in a nightmare. As I reached the kitchen, the sight that greeted me sent a chill down my spine. Every cabinet door was open, their contents strewn across the kitchen floor in some chaotic mess. But in the midst of this disarray, in the centre of the kitchen, stood a single chair pulled from the two-seater table in the corner. It was upright and facing me, as if placed there by unseen hands for some unfathomable purpose. I got the sense that whatever had done all this was sat right there, arms folded, as if to say, I can do whatever I want. The scene before me was a gobsmacking physical example of the dark entity that now lived in my home. The air was thick with a sense of being watched. No, more surrounded by a gang of thugs, threatened. And for a moment, I was sure I could hear the faint echo of that whistle but it seemed more, I don't know, mocking in its tone. I was at my wit's end. The relentless hauntings pushed me to a state of constant anxiety. The apparitions grew more ominous. Dark, indistinct figures lurking in the shadows. 
lights turning on and off without reason. It was this atmosphere of unrelenting terror that made me decide to seek external help. My first attempt was contacting a medium, one recommended by a friend. Her reputation was amazing, and it gave me a glimmer of hope. However, upon arriving at the flat, she hesitated at the threshold, and her face drained of colour. She whispered of scenting an overwhelming evil. One, she said, as she stood on her tiptoes to look over my shoulder into the flat, that she wasn't prepared for. Perfect. Just bloody perfect. Despite my pleas, she left advising me to seek help elsewhere. And so, undeterred, that's what I did. I reached out to a second medium, and her reaction was eerily similar. Upon nearing my flat, she paused, terror evident in her eyes, and politely refused to enter. She muttered something about a double booking and apologised. She left, taking the stairs two at a time. For Christ's sake! Speaking of Christ, you may wonder why I didn't reach out to the church. Well, I did consider it, but the thought filled me with dread. You see, as a youth, I had a traumatic experience with the church one that left me with deep-seated mistrust and resentment, so I couldn't bring myself to do it, even in the face of such terror. Every night the shadows seemed to grow darker, the air colder, and the scent of an unseen malevolent watcher more pronounced. The lights would flicker, casting eerie shadows that would dance across the walls. The feeling of being watched was now tangible. This flat was no longer mine. I just couldn't take it anymore. I was on the brink of a mental breakdown. I explained my issues with my friend Brian at the pub. He very kindly offered for me to stay at their house, his and his wife's house. It was a three-bedroom home and just had the two of them. No kids, one room was an office, but they had a spare room and a single bed. Well, I jumped at the chance. Anything for a light reprieve. My time at Brian's was a temporary break from the terror, but it was never going to be a permanent solution. And I felt like an intruder in their home a burden they were too kind to address. The fear and unease never left me. I was constantly on edge, jumping at the slightest noise, even in the safety of their house. The memories of the dark figures and the unnatural occurrences of my flat haunted my every thought. The decision to return to my flat was one of resignation. I'd most definitely outstayed my welcome, and despite Brian saying I could stay as long as I needed, 
it was clear his wife thought otherwise, and I hate feeling like a burden. So I packed up one morning and headed back to the flat like I was going to the gallows. I felt helpless, trapped in a situation with no apparent escape. The notion of facing those horrors again filled me with a deep, consuming dread. As I walked back into the building, I encountered my neighbour from the flat below, an old Chinese gentleman, and he confronted me, visibly upset, apparently because of the banging coming from my flat at all hours of the night. He said it was like someone was tearing the place apart. His words, not mine. I just apologised. I didn't want to have to explain I hadn't been there. I entered my flat cautiously. The air was heavy, a genuine sense of foreboding. I checked each room, my heart pounding. My bedroom was as I left it. Fine, great. The bathroom was the same. Okay, good. But the living room, that was a scene of chaos. The carpet had been ripped up from its tacks, balled up into the centre. My couch, TV, telephone table, pictures from the walls, ornaments, everything was piled on top of it. A bizarre, unsettling shrine of all of my belongings all in the exact centre of the room. I couldn't comprehend what force would be capable of such disturbance. But it was a clear message. Whatever was in my flat did not want me there. As I stood there, trying to process the scene, the door slammed shut behind me, with a force that shook the walls. I turned, opened the living room door and ran towards the front door. I was outside, closing it over to lock it and it was yanked out of my hand, slamming against the wall. Looking back down towards the living room, I saw a chair slide from right to left. I again pulled and locked the door and I left my mind reeling. The realisation that I was dealing with something far beyond my understanding, something malicious, something powerful, was crushing. I felt utterly alone. After that harrowing night, I had no option but to go back to Brian's. He graciously offered his hospitality, and I knew I was overstaying my welcome yet again but I just had to see out the month's notice, which I did. Eventually, I found a new flat near Blackheath. A fresh start, or so I hope. Life in Blackheath is a stark contrast. The flat is calm, free from unexplained noises or shifting shadows. Yet the tranquility is slightly unsettling. It's like I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop. The nights are quiet. 
but in that silence, my mind wanders back to Peckham, to that flat, to Alan. Sometimes in the quiet of the evening, as I stir out of the window, a fleeting reflection catches my eye. A figure, a face, a shape. It's gone as quickly as it appears, leaving me to question whether it was real or just a trick of the light. But these moments reignite the fear I felt, the uncertainty, the unresolved questions. What if the presence in my old flat was not Alan? What if the Ouija board's accusation was true? But what if the Ouija board brought something else through? All of these questions go round in my mind, a constant reminder of the unknown. Yet there's part of me that hopes it was Alan a misguided attempt to reach out from beyond, to make some sort of amends. I've found no answers, only more questions. But the experience I have have left a mark on me, a scar that will never heal. For now, I'm living in a cautious peace, but I'm always aware always wondering if it will return. I'm in therapy right now, and although I haven't yet disclosed my haunting, the therapist says I'm showing all the signs of someone with PTSD. It's all too surreal. I promise I'll keep you updated if anything changes. Hopefully it won't. But thank you for letting me share my story. This has been cathartic, in a way. All my best, Dave. Dave, thank you so much for that experience. I can tell it's come straight from the heart. I can tell it's genuine. And I'm sincerely sorry for the loss of your friend. I flit back and forth on the use of Ouija boards. Part of me thinks it's like adding petrol to a fire. Just don't do it. But the other part of me says, if there is something there that proves afterlife communication, why aren't we using it? Would I? Well, I have. Would I do it again? No. Is that because anything happened? Not really, although there were one or two things which I can't explain messages that came through that later turned out to be true. But what I mean is, as an adult and having read all of your experiences with the Ouija board, I think I'd steer well clear now. And I would most definitely advise anyone considering using the board to maybe not. But Dave, sincerely thank you so much for such an emotional and genuinely terrifying submission. And so that brings us to the end of episode 6 of season 14. For our Patreons, I'll speak to you again on Sunday for another instalment of Dark Bites. And for everyone, I'll speak to you next week for a minisode before we hit episode 7 of season 14. But until then, remember, 
When you're discussing the paranormal, always try and leave some of your disbelief at the door. And I'll see you next time, right here on The Dark Paranormal.